Good day, good folks. You are listening to Talk That Keeps You Woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Potlicker Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I may go one half of Potlicker. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one. A great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Potlicker is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Kim Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Okay, welcome back. What's up, partner? How you been? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. I am well. And as you know, Dr. A, life be lifing, but we're going to push through because that's what we do. And how uh, are you? Okay, well, <laughs> summer session started. Well, the second summer session started at Texas Southern University. And I'm on board there. We just finished week one of five weeks. So I'm back into the flow of things. I can say that. So welcome to Pot Liquor Podcast. And as always, as you're familiar with our show, we start off with our wow for the week. And this week is coming from Justice, the Honorable Justice Kentanji Brown Jackson. And this was in her dissent which we're going to jump into. But deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. And basically, she's just trying to tell us that just because we have this written down on paper, that doesn't mean that people obey and follow it. That doesn't mean that uh, marginalized groups or African-American, Hispanics, Asians, you know, uh, people of color don't face discrimination and have been for a long time. And so uh, we'll get into the affirmative action. But again, but deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. What say you, partner? Basically, I just would sum this up by saying that Actions speak louder than words, and you can say that we live in a colorblind society all day long, but we see every day that race in America is indeed a factor. Okay, well <laughs> said. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to come to a stop like that, but yes, <laughs> I, I do agree Point with blank. you on that. And the period. So before we get into our first uh, what's going on, we always will give you our first plug of the day. And our first plug of the day, and I'm, this is me, this is Advil, and this is the liquid gel. And the reason why I'm putting this up today, I know probably many of you have it, it's, it's been helping me lately. You know, I'm suffering from a lot of aches and pains uh, that just comes with 
age. This little annoyances. I don't take it on a regular basis, but I like the gel because um, it operates, you know, quickly. It has an impact and an effect quickly. So that's why I like that. And let us move on. Okay, so what's going on? We are going to talk about affirmative action because it, it is impacting a lot of us around the country, especially students trying to get into higher ed. Um, so we'll first start with affirmative action. Okay. The decision came down um, that race is no longer allowed to be used as a factor of getting into colleges. Now, mind you, this was passed down from uh, for the University of Harvard and University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, mm -hmm. um, that they could not use it um, in as a part of the admissions process. Mm -hmm. um, and I will read a little bit of uh, the decision. Harvard College and the University of North Carolina are two of the oldest institutions of higher learning in the United States. Every year, tens of thousands of students apply to each school. Uh, many fewer are admitted. Both Harvard and UNC employ a highly selective admissions process to make their decisions. Admission to each school can depend on a student's grades, recommendation letters, or extracurricular involvement. It can also depend on their race. The question presented is whether the admission systems used by Harvard College and UNC are lawful under the Equal Protection Clause for the 14th Amendment. At Harvard, each application for admission is initially screened by a first reader who assigns a numerical score in each six categories, academic, extracurricular, athletic, school support, personal, and overall. For the overall category, a composite of the five other ratings, a first reader can, can and does consider the applicant's race. Harvard's Admission subcommittee then reviews all applicants from a particular geographic area. These regional subcommittees make recommendations to the full admissions committee and they take the applicant's race into account. When the 40 member full admissions committee begins its deliberations, it discusses the relative breakdown of applicants by race. The goal of the process, according to Harvard's director of admissions, is ensuring there is no dramatic drop-off in minority emissions from the prior class. So that is what they ruled against. What say you, partner? Well, I don't think that anybody is surprised by this decision, um, especially since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, after 50 years of precedent. So, so we're not surprised that 
this court, which is majority conservative, six to six conservative justice justices to three liberal justices, nobody's surprised that affirmative action was overturned. However, and I have an official statement that I would like to make because when this decision came down on June 29th of this year, um, everybody was making their, you know, comments about it and opining about it. And so I said, well, let me have my own official statement. So I would like to say that it was a sad day in America on Thursday, June 29th, 2023, when the Supreme Court turned back the hands of time and dismantled the guardrails that affirmative action had erected to ensure that Black people could be afforded educational opportunities that we had previously been denied as a result of simply being Black. So the way I look at it is affirmative action is basically a policy aimed at increasing workplace and educational opportunities for people who are underrepresented in various areas of our society. And again, we just have to think about it as it wasn't, it was created out of necessity. That's what I say. It wasn't created in a vacuum. And I think we need to just reflect on why this policy was, was created in the first place. Because a lot of times in America, seeing is believing and understanding. For example, we all knew that black people were being disproportionately killed by the police, you know, being unarmed. We all knew that. But when America saw on video George Floyd actually being murdered before our eyes, then people seem to, you know, wake up and understand that this is a reality. This is what we have been trying to tell you this whole time. Right. And so for me, as an example of why we needed affirmative action, I did some research. There's a man, his name is Marion Hood. You can Google him and see for yourself, but he was denied admission to Emory University Medical School. This was, and he literally, this was back in August the 5th of 1959. And his rejection letter, he shared it with the public, his rejection letter from the director of admissions um, at Emory University's uh, Medical School, and I quote said, I am sorry, I must write to you that we are not authorized to consider for admission a member of the Negro race. I regret that we cannot help you. I am returning here with your $5 application fee. So he was clearly told because you're black, you cannot be admitted to this school. Not because your test scores are low, not because your grades are low, not because you're not qualified, but because you're black. And so this, to me, in order to remedy that kind of wrong that was done against African-Americans, you have to do the, you have to reverse engineer it. And so you have to say affirmatively, black people are going to be 
allowed admission into particular schools. And that's really the only way to fix what you broke because that, I mean, just think about what opportunities he lost by not being able to well, go to that let, particular. Let me just interject real quick because oh. of that last statement you said. It really means that black people or minority people will receive points and that will heavily be put into consideration because because yeah. because of their race. It's just leveling the playing field. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. That's all. That and, and so, you know. But I just my overall thought about what happened is in the immortal words of Kendrick Lamar, we going to be all right because that's what we do. That's what we've done. We've, we're still here. And I think that Black existence is resistance. So we're going to keep living. We're going to keep, we're, we're not going anywhere. And we're just going to make it work like we've, like we've always done. So all is not lost. This is what is to be expected when you have this kind of court that's majority conservative. And to all of the people who say there's no difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, here is your proof that there is indeed a difference. Because if we had had Hillary Clinton instead of Trump, we would still have abortion rights. We would still have affirmative action. You guys would still have all of your uh, student loans paid off. And so it matters. What do you think, Dr. Ed? Well, yeah, the, the sad thing about it, too, is they're starting to visit this in corporate America, too. So now, um, if you're an African-American and you apply for anything and you receive it, it's going to be they're trying to take it away. Well, it's not because you're black because they did away with affirmative action. They're still going to think that because they, they're always going to think if that's their mindset, they're always going to think you're less qualified, even when you're more qualified. Exactly. Um, so, <laughs> so I say it's, this is it's a shameful yeah. day, you know, a time that we are revisiting this and revoking it. Um, I just, what the young kids put on their texts all the time, SMH, shaking my head. <laughs> yeah. That's just my reaction to it. And not yeah. utterly shocked by it at all. Right, right. Um, but it's just like, well, they put it back in place. They did what they set out to do. Right. And it's a sad day. Right. I. It's just unfortunate because it just seems like they created this division of the races to maintain power and literally subjugated black people to the, the bottom rung of of societies through exploitation, free labor, slavery, all of that. And now when we can actually use race to receive a benefit, when black people can use race to receive a benefit, now Race is a problem. Isn't that something? 
that's what that's what gets me. It's a problem now, but you literally structured this society based on race so that you can maintain power, this white power structure. Yeah. But again, when there's something that can benefit black people, wait, wait a minute. We, this is a colorblind society. We cannot consider race. So it's just, you know, hypocritical. It's wrong, flat out wrong. And I, it's I mean, like when it comes to collegiate sports on campuses, especially in the big three sports, and excuse me, that's uh, college football, college basketball, and college girls. Uh, 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 basketball, you don't see those problems. There's no issue of race there because they feel like... Isn't that something? <laughs> they don't question our athletic prowess. Okay. Especially our athletic prowess is going to help them bring a ton of money into the institution. Um, but they question um, our intellectual efficacy. So... I don't know. That's something to look at. But, you know, the other thing is they said in the opinion that race could be a factor in terms of uh, military, in terms of the military. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> we don't we don't look at race when we want you to volunteer to and to risk your life for the country. But to receive an educational benefit, no, we cannot consider race. But and let us move on. All right, so we're going to start off with uh, Judge Clarence Thomas' opinion. What say you about his opinion? Well, I kind of skimmed through his opinion, and I think the one thing that stood out to me is when he said two discriminatory wrongs cannot make a right permitting universities to discriminate based on race in their admissions process in order to achieve alleged educational benefits of diversity in his mind is wrong. So justice Thomas doesn't think diversity is a compelling state interest. It, it, it's not, he, he, he just doesn't think that diversity is a legitimate goal to achieve through affirmative action. That just, to me, is just flat out, just flat out wrong because, I mean, how boring would it be if everybody in a learning environment has the same perspective? You know, okay, I, I'm I'm gonna jump in real quick, mm -hmm. um, and this might seem like I'm defending Clarence Thomas, but I'm not. I'm just giving a context. He takes this personal because what happened to him personally? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He went to Holy Cross undergrad and he got into Yale Law School. And his classmates thought he was there because he was black, because of affirmative action. And that teed him off because he felt 
like all the white folks that were talking to him, telling him he's an excellent student, you know, he scored well at Holy Cross, were then saying that he thought was like, wow, they've been telling me this the whole time, but they put me here at Yale Law School because I was black. It was the first year Yale was having an affirmative um, action program. And he wanted everybody to know, like, I got here on my own merit. So I think he feels that having diversity, or well, not, not having diversity, I take that back. Affirmative action um, is a negative stigma for people of color because people are thinking, like, you're not here on right. your merit. You know, you're here because of your race. And then afterwards, when he went to try to get a job, everyone said, because of your Yale degree, you know, law degree, you know, and you're black, you're going to get a job. And that wasn't the case for him. He didn't get a job in corporate America. And he was married. He had a child by then. And so, again, he thought, like, this is tomfoolery, this whole uh, affirmative action. So personally, is the, this is the reason why he gets it. He's, he feels like African-Americans can get into these institutions on their own merit, don't need a, a boost or a pick-me-up to help them out. He thinks of it as a stigma. He doesn't look at the numbers and say it's real. It's not a stigma. It's definitely racial. You know, when you attend an institution that's a high institution and it's predominantly white, um, there there are a few things that you can consider. Maybe some, especially today, some students, minority, don't want to attend that institution. It could be the location where that institution is um, in some parts of America. And, I'm, I, you know, people might laugh at it. You know, everybody is not want to go to, want to, go to school in Wyoming, Montana, <laughs> Vermont, New Hampshire. And if you're thinking like, well, Dr. A, you're naming a lot of predominantly white states. I am. You know, culture is very important to a lot of people. And until you're absent of it, you won't understand it. But there are some students that a minority that they don't care. They don't have to be surrounded by their culture. They uh, feel like they can survive without that. I'm just yep. speaking for myself when I say that. So I'm just saying that this is the reason why that Thomas, you know, I should say Judge Thomas. Um, Justice Thomas. Justice yeah. Thomas, I'm sorry. Uh, has these views. But I understand that, but I don't think it's fair for him to project his own insecurities onto the whole race. Just because you're Black doesn't mean that you get to project your insecurity onto the whole race. Like for me personally, I don't care how I got into the school. 
Once I get in, I bet you I'll get out. Well, explain That's this. What, 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 what do you mean by his insecurity? He's basically saying, I'm good he's, enough. I, I don't need your assistance. Okay, when he's you give insecure me your, when, because, when, let me hold, explain. Hold on, let me, let me finish the question. He's saying, when I get your assistance, you label and you stigmatize me. You're insecure because you're concerned about what somebody thinks about you. I don't care. Give me all of the benefits that I am that I can get. I was going to say entitled to, but when you say entitled, people just get up in arms like you you want a handout. But black people are owed a lot in this country and I'm like Warren G. I want it all. Brand new socks and drawers. I want it all. So I don't care what you call it. If it's available as a benefit to me and to black people in this country, then we should get it. I don't okay. care what you think about that it. Because, see, we don't look down on white people when they receive benefits, when they've gotten all kinds of military benefits, all kinds of housing benefits, all kinds of uh, uh, PPP loans and all kinds of, we don't look down on them when they, when they're multi-million dollar companies getting PPP loans and not having to pay it back. Okay. So let me, we don't call them, you know. So uh, let me say this. There are a lot, I know a lot of, I know a lot of students, black students, even black students that went to my institution and I went to HBCU that think that way, that think the way Clarence Thomas thinks, because they feel like they are superior. I don't know, you might call it insecure, okay? They might call it, you know, it irritates them and they're frustrated by it. Um, so with you, your, your statement is, and then it's how you come up. Say you come up with a lot of white friends. They, you go to school with them, you communicate with them, you are social with them. And then they feel like you go to school and these other students are looking at you like you don't deserve to be here. Okay. They have a feeling, even though you feel a different way, there's some people that feel his way. They, they don't like that. They don't like. They don't like that people, people, you know, um, passing judgment on them that they got here because of their race because it's been said because it's been said to them okay because i mean i went i i went to georgetown university and nobody ever said that to me like you're here they may have thought it but nobody said oh you're just here because you're black okay nobody said that to me but if they had i would i would have kept walking like and I, I, okay, but what I'm trying to say it, to you, that's exactly, saying, that's, that's you. So let's think of the me, people. But that's a lot of other people, too. And I, all I'm saying is it's not fair for it's, it's To me, it's like somebody telling you that they know what's best for you. Because nobody ever asked Black people, what do you need? They always want to say, well, this is... They don't need. That's not true. That's too, that's too general when you say that. Okay. All right. Well, 
But I'm saying I get what you're saying. What I'm what I'm trying to get you to do benefits without asking us. I'm trying to get you. Did you need that? Did you need early childhood education for your kids? Did you need uh, a subsidy for child care? Did you need uh, uh, Medicare, Medicaid? Did you need uh, SNAP benefits? Uh, oh, we didn't know that. We just, we I'm just saying this. The only reason why I'm telling you, 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 that's all I'm saying. Only reason why I'm telling you, because I don't want you to go down the lane of the rabbit hole (laughs) that white folks have not tried to do anything to help black folks in this country, and that's just not not saying that at all. uh, But it can, I'm not saying that at all. I'm I'm talking about government, I'm not saying white folks, I'm saying just. Government. Yeah, government I'm talking government. I'm talking about government too. Just because decisions are made, that doesn't mean everybody in government is for one side. But what I'm trying to get you to think is like I know you say, and you do you do this, you say, I wouldn't care, but I'm asking you to address the people who do care that okay. are black. So and I'm saying do, do care. Oh, okay. Let me finish. Let me finish. Do they have a point? Okay, I will say you have a point. People may think that because affirmative action exists, that because you are here at a PWI, you must be here because of affirmative action. Even if you're not, (laughs) even if you were the valedictorian of your class and you got 1600 on your SATs and you do community service and you have you a star athlete. They're still going to think that you were there because of affirmative action. And then once we want, now that affirmative action has been overturned, they're still going to think that you are inferior. So what difference does it, that's what I'm saying. Well, that's a good People point. People are going to think what they want to think. That's, <laughs> so, that's, but that that's, that's, that's a good point. Right. So we might as well get the benefits to which we are entitled. That's all I'm saying, because it's not going. people are going to think that you are inferior either way. That's all I'm saying. So I don't care what you think. I really don't. Because, listen, you know how they say, what do you call a doctor? See, that's not compassion. No, what do you call? No, they say, what do you call a medical student who graduates at the bottom of their class? Doctor. Doctor. So it doesn't it's like. I don't care which, at the end of the day, I'm going to graduate from this school and I'm going to have a degree from this school. I don't care how I got in and you shouldn't care how I got in because I'm going to get out and I'm going to kill it. So when you say, I don't care what you think, you're talking about those who think you're in here because of your race. You're talking about those people. You don't care what they I don't care what they think. And so that's all I'm saying. I, I understand Justice Thomas, that this was your experience and you felt this stigma and you don't want other black people to feel the way that you do. But I think that you are making an assumption that that is how uh, most of us or many of us feel. And that's not necessarily so. That's all I'm saying, Justice Thomas. Don't all take right. away our benefits. Give us more. We, we you know, we, we're owed for free labor for many years for making this country an economic powerhouse. Or as Dr. Greg Carr calls it, this uh, criminal enterprise. I would just say to Justice <laughs> Thomas is you th- think affirmative action is not needed. And and I would say to you, you're wrong. Because even though a lot of us are deserving 
that doesn't mean that we get in. Exactly. You feel like there's still not hatred because folks have black skin, right? You feel like that doesn't exist. And I would tell you, it does. Yes, it does. Let us move on. All right. So from one opinion, from a black Supreme Court justice, to another opinion of a black Supreme Court justice. Indeed. Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, she was nominated by President Biden because he promised to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court and he kept his promise. Well, I would say what the first sentence of her dissent sums up the whole thing for me. She said, golf-sized race-based gaps exist with respect to the health, wealth, and well-being of American citizens. These, well, she said, they, referring to the wealth gaps, were created in the distant past but have indisputably been passed down to the present day through the generations. Every moment these gaps persist is a moment in which this great country falls short of actualizing one of its foundational principles, the self-evident truth that all of us are created equal. That sums it up for me. And she's yeah, not- I'm definitely on her side when it comes to this decision. Um, and you can say I'm biased because of my entire life. I'll plead guilty to that. Um, but to me, she's the only one that's making true, true sense out of this and looking at it from a realistic life perspective. Um, the folks that are against affirmative action feel that African-Americans are coming in, taking spots that rightfully belong to their kids and things of that nature. And I would say you couldn't be it. That couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, it's not only how well you do with your grades, because that makes for a dull and insipid institution. Um, I teach and I teach communications and sometimes people who are super smart say little or say nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want all those folks in my class. When, when, when I'm in my course in my classes, it's about topic discussion. It's about opening, opening up and I'm not painting every bright, high achieving academic student that is white boring I, 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 or, or non-communicative. And I, that doesn't just go for white students. That goes for high-achieving students, right. people of color. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't say enough because maybe all they did was dive into their academics when they were in school, uh, high school. 
But class participation is a part of your grade, right? Mm, not really. No? Okay. No, because the reason why you can't do that, because there are some people that have issues. Oh, they can't they they can't speak publicly. Well, it they feel nervous and flustered and they have anxiety. They have, you know, mental health issues, which is okay. a real thing. Okay. Um, so you're saying you personally don't consider class participation as part of the student's grade or you're saying no in general, I, I would but but I would but I don't think it's fair to do that when you do have people that are afraid of especially people in this generation who usually communicate by social media or that communicates a lot by social media when you get in front of 24 or 34 other people to speak and to verbally spar with your classmates, you might get flustered and nervous or, you know, you you might not do well at that. So okay. you know, I right. make sure I ask him a question or two, but what I'm saying is that's why I'd rather have a B student in my class that's loquacious than an A student that's silent. Mm -hmm. but I don't teach math. I teach communication. So right. in communications, you need to talk. So there's a difference. Well, that's why I was surprised that you don't consider class participation as part of the student's grade in your communications class. <laughs> well, you have to participate in the speaking assignments. Like if there's a speech, yes, but I'm talking about just classroom discussion. Classroom discussion, yes. Okay. You have okay. some people that's just, they're not going to do it. Right. You know, they're Well, not. you know, it's ironically, Clarence Thomas was notoriously quiet during oral arguments. Like he didn't, he never asked questions. He just kind of listened to his uh, associate justices ask all the questions and listen to the answers from the, from counsel. But he was notoriously quiet. And I think people have said it was because he was self-conscious about his uh, cadence being from Georgia. Mm. Have you heard that? I have, but he's, he's spoken enough now. Well, know. yeah, I think, I think he's getting over it. I don't yeah. know if he had therapy or whatever, but it's 90. Cause I think he was, he was confirmed either in 91 or 92 is when, that whole Anita Hill thing happened. Because mm -hmm. he was nominated by Bush, uh, George. Yeah. Uh, was it H.W.? I always get them confused. But the father yeah. or the son. <laughs> Herbert Walker, yeah. Okay, so that's the son, right? Yeah. No. Is that the father or the son? I always get confused. But he was y'all voted can in by the father. Cause, okay. Because... Cause, um, uh, Bush, the son, was 2000 to 2008, and then Barack was 2008 to 2016. Okay, there you go. So was the dad. Um, so, yeah. I, I, but, but you said something. You said, uh, you said something about white students thinking that black students have taken their place in these classes when they get admitted to schools. Yeah, and they parents of white, white students. Right, so they think because this black person was admitted my oh, white his, his my span. white student yeah. wasn't admitted. They took her his or her space. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think that overturning affirmative action is going to help that white student 
any more than it does now because let's just look at the numbers. Okay? That's why I said it's far from the truth. Right. If you look at the numbers in 2022 at Harvard, 4.59% of the students that applied to the school were accepted. So they have a less than 5% acceptance rate at Harvard. It's like playing the lottery. You could be the best student in the country, but the numbers don't are, are not going to help you. It's just like all of the qualified people who could get in have to basically play the lottery to get accepted to Harvard. That's what it's like. But so, the white, hold on, hold that Let thought. me give you the numbers. No, 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 hold okay, that go thought. Ahead. Go ahead. What whites, and that's a perfect point, what white students are saying, that's for us. They the say, is for right, us. it's for us. They're saying if I'm black, my chances with my scores increase. That's what they're saying. They're like increasing. And I, and I would say to them, it should. Because if you go look at the percentage of the population at that institution, you'll see it's overwhelmingly white. Right. I think it's getting more diversified, but it's overwhelmingly white. Okay. So as I was saying, with the, with the numbers for this one year, 2022 admissions at Harvard, out of 42,749 applicants, 1,962 were accepted. And guess how many were black? 196, approximately 10%. So you are, you want me to believe that these you it's only 196 black students were accepted and you got now you want to fight over them 196 students and say one of the 196 should have been me. <laughs> when you were at one of 49,000 people, are you serious right now? You see how that just doesn't need the math ain't mathing for me. So yeah, but they're thing, thinking you're know, right. They're thinking out of those 196, say they're saying at least 100 of those should have been are, exactly. Right. And there's a, it increases my chances, not by much, but it still increases my chances. I agree with you. I'm yeah. just trying, I always try to make sense of what they're thinking. But again, we haven't even talked about legacy admissions. Right. Well, they, we they're addressing they're addressing that now. Right. They they're starting to address to, that now. Yeah. So. Right. Because because white folks that don't have mothers and fathers and grandparents that attended the institutions, they're saying, wait a minute, y'all getting in too. And y'all ain't definitely brighter than me or a better applicant than me. You're getting in because your parents are alumni and they donate money to right. the institution. And it's, 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 it's a game, but that that's life. I would tell these students, welcome to life. Welcome to capitalism. That's how this country right. has run. Because listen, a lot of us, okay, let's say a lot of us got into a lot of black people got into uh, predominantly white institutions because of affirmative action. Let's assume that that's true. Now that we can also benefit, th these black people can also benefit from legacy admissions. In other words, now our children can maybe get a boost and go to some of these same schools. It's ironic because, for example, 
my husband went to UVA. I went to Georgetown. Say if our students got accepted to UVA in Georgetown. Now we have to pay that tuition. So that's, to me, a disincentive. Unless they're going to get a, a full scholarship, which they probably won't because of now that we've gone to these institutions, we've been able to raise our socioeconomic status to a certain level. And so therefore, you're not going to get the same financial aid or assistance that our parents got because our parents didn't have much. So we were able to get the funding to go and coming from um, these elite institutions, you are able to raise your own socioeconomic status and now your children can go. And if they get a boost and get legacy ad admissions, especially now that affirmative action has been overturned, we can't, I mean, we, we can't pay. I'm, I know. Well, you speak, yeah. Speak for yourself. Cause there's a lot of people that graduated from y'all two institutions that are making that type of money. Also, where they can just cut that check. Those institutions, I don't know, we can look it up. I'm sure the uh, University of Virginia and Georgetown University, Georgetown not as much, have stronger populations. Harvard is not a big institution. That's for one. You just said they admit only uh, a thousand and something out that of 40. That was for the freshman class. Yeah. Right, right. But that's what I'm saying every year. So if it's a thousand and something, so say it's 2,000 and it's four, that's like 8,000 students at the school in just undergrad. So yeah. that's not a huge institution. But school, schools like Syracuse, University of Maryland, Texas A&M University, they're trying to get minorities, quote unquote, to come to their school. Um, even though we'll be talking about my institution soon um, because they have so many students that come to the institution in the first place. Yeah. I think the good news though is that there's it's still legal for schools to um collect the data on the demographics of race. So they can I mean you can be asked to disclose your race during the admissions process. They just can't use it as a factor in their admissions decision. So that way, I think that's important because we'll still be able to recognize those patterns and um, patterns of whether or not fewer black people are now being admitted after this policy has been passed or not. Or, you know, so we can see the patterns of discrimination that may be occurring and schools can still figure out how to achieve those diversity goals without you know, affirmatively stating, no pun intended, affirmatively stating that they are using race as a factor in admissions. You see what I'm saying? So, I mean, schools will still be able to figure out how, and I think Harvard even um, released a statement saying that that is exactly what they intend to do. They intend to achieve their diversity goals another way. So all is not lost. People who want to do what's right can still figure out how to do that. And people who want to be racist and discriminate can now do it under cover of law. That's all this means to me. Now the law is on your side. You can do it. And I can't say, well, they didn't let me in because I'm black. I can't go legally challenge that now because the affirmative, because of what the Supreme Court has, has held. All right. And let us move on. Don't stop now. 
Okay, so we're going to get into our second plug, which is our brand. And it is Adidas. Oh, those are nice. Oh. All right, so these are two pair of Adidas I rarely wear. I'm about to give them away. I was about to say, they look good. They look, um, why don't you wear them? Uh, I don't know. I can't tell you why. Sometimes I put them on, just the difference. Um, but Like to match your outfits and stuff? I'm probably... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, but I got other colors to match. Um, I, I'm I'm all about comfort. These are comfortable. Mm-hmm. They are. If you can see, like the cushion in the the heels of them, it is. They're very a comfortable sneaker. But they yes, like they would be good for training. Mm, they, like they're, they're more cross training, yeah. But okay. you you know you can style them too. When you get older, you tend to wear running shoes. Um, right, because, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, because they they have the cushion and the soft, exactly. you know, and that's what you're gonna need. You know, okay. help them, help help them knees Yeah, the knees. Knees exactly. So Adidas is the product. Well, all right. We have a question. It's a question. Address the question. This is a question. So what's the question? Answer the question. Okay, question of the week. What breaks and never falls and what falls and never breaks? That is our question of the week. What breaks and never falls in what falls and never breaks? And let us move on. What was last week's question? I'll get to it. Black. Black, black, black. (laughs) Black on black, black. Yeah. Hey. Okay, black, 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 black on black, black, my face so black, 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 I'm black, my skin is so black, I'm rocking that black on black is black. Okay, we have faces, body, and soul. I love it. It is a a jewelry and accessory business um, that's started by somebody very familiar to me. And instead of us speaking for it, we're going to bring on the owner and operator and creator of these products. Hello, hello, hello. So let's kind of get her bigger. We'll put the logo back up again. There she is. Hello, everyone. Hi, Dr. York. Hello, Pot Liquor Podcast, <laughs> Dr. A, Kim Parker-Jackson. How are y'all doing? <laughs> good, good, good. Welcome. Thank Welcome y'all back. for <laughs> Tell us a little bit about faces, body, and soul, jewelry, and accessories. Okay, this is something um, that has been 
like a passion of mine. Um, ever since my, my story is I grew up, um, I had keloid skin. And so ever since, so after like a, a, around nine years old, my mother, we, I had surgery to remove the keloids. So I couldn't wear pierced earrings. I was always have to wear clip-on earrings. So when I saw fashionable earrings, I would say, man, how could I, you know, also wear those? So I started converting earrings. Then I started making them. And when I would make them, people would say like, wow, like, where did you get those from? And I said that I, I made them. So during Juneteenth, I made some that were kind of African inspired and you can see those behind me. So people just started asking about it. And I said, you know what, let me just do this. It's something that I've always wanted to do. And I want to inspire women. I'm all about um, health and, and really health and also beauty for women of color. So, and that's where the name came from. Um, you know, like people see our faces Yes, you know, on the outside, uh, we can be beautiful. We may have something going on in the inside, but on the outside, you know, we can project and, and maybe we'll feel that on the inside. Indeed, indeed. And I love accessories myself. So can you tell us, are these just for women who need to wear clip-ons or can women that have the holes in their ears also wear them? Yes, these are for women with clip on, both clip on oh, and pierced. Um, so I have some that I can't convert, some are not convertible. So, um, you know, and I'll try to, so usually when I post the earrings, I have my Instagram faces, body, soul, uh, jewelry, and I put on there, you know, ones that can be converted because sometimes you can't convert them to clip ons. Okay. For, for all, for pierced and clip on. Okay. So can you show us a couple of your favorite pairs and tell us how much they cost? What's the price point? And what else do you have? Um, sure. So here are, these are um, my initial creations. Um, Beautiful. And what I do is I try to use sustainable products other than the hardware on there. Mm -hmm. I use uh, material, you know, um, I have the like the leather look. I also have a, um, this is my uh, college line. So I make, you know, whatever your college is, I'll go and find uh, some material with that college logo on there. Um, so, and I try to add, you know, try to adorn it. This is a University of Houston um, inspired line, uh, but I try to use like material. So the, okay. the leather, the polyurethane, um, you know, like any type of other material, but these are my favorite. These are something that can be worn, um, you know, if you're going to a gala, you know, like a special event. And right now I'm running the She's a 10 special. So I feel like, um, you know, I want to, you know, we're a 10. Unfortunately, society has labeled this. We can be a 20, but according to society, a 10 is the highest. So I'm mm -hmm. running a $10 special unless they're custom made. So if you want them custom made, it's going to be 15 because I'm going to have to go out and get the material and find it. So, um, you know, and these are some also that I made. Um, but and then here's just a little close up of them too, how I put the material on them. there. And I try to make sure that it's not fraying. Um, but if you have a belt, if you have an outfit that you're wearing and you have a belt, I can you can bring me the material for the belt and I'll make it custom made. I've done that for my own um, attire, you know, and you can have some matching yeah. earrings. Okay, so where do we go to purchase these beautiful items? 
So you can go to Faces, Body, Soul. Um, I have an Instagram. Uh, let me make sure I have that because I'm, I'm only like in my third week. So Faces, Body, Soul, Jewelry is my IG. And um, if you go there, you can send me a message and I'll um, and you can cash app. Um, and I have my cash app on there also. It's dollar sign fee, F-E-E, York. And um, the delivery is going to vary because, you know, if you order several pair and then depending on your location. So I'll discuss that with you also. Okay. Uh, but I'm, I'm very flexible, you know, like I, this is something that I love. Um, here is a... Uh, someone liked, I had on some red ones. So this young lady liked the red ones that I had on. So she wanted me to custom make, she has a lemon yellow dress that she's wearing. So I've packaged these up for her. Beautiful. She's, meet me. she's in Houston so, and she's going to meet me. So of course there's no charge for that, but delivery, it'll depend on the number that you buy, you know, et cetera. Okay. I like the concentric circles. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And I try to add a little touch to everything because I want you to feel like, you know, it's something you can't get anywhere else. So I just added these little circles here and I have some like some rubber materials that I'm I'm thinking about making. So this is something that I love. Like I'll stay up all night. And I see which the ones you're wearing, are those um, shaped in a triangle? They are. They are. Well, there. I really love those. Inspiration to my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta, to Kim Parker Jackson, Jackson and I sorority. Yeah. Um, and if you go to my Instagram, I also have colors that I that are inspired by the um, Divine Nine um, ladies uh, sororities. Nice. So if you look on there, it's like the color scheme. So and I, I'm also looking for uh, things you know that I can buy for specifically with the. Um, those Greek symbols. So right now, is is the is is the is the cash app uh, dollar, dollar sign fee York. Okay. Oh, okay, York. Thank you. But when yeah. I, I'll see that when I go to your Instagram. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Well, we wish you all the success in the world. Cha-ching, cha-ching. Cha-ching, cha-ching. Thank you. All right. Thank you again. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Black. Black, black, black. Black on black, black. Yeah. Hey. Okay, black, 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 black on black, black, my thoughts so black, black, black on black, my skin is so black, I'm rocking that black on black is black. Black let us move on. Blackness. Keep the keep on. So today we want to highlight for our little known black history fact, General Michael E. Langley. General Michael Langley was the first African-American four-star general in the U.S. Marine Corps. He was promoted to the rank of general on August 6, 2022, in a ceremony at Marine Corps Barracks in Washington. 
Langley was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, and grew up on a variety of military bases as a child before settling in Texas. He graduated from the University of Texas at Arlington and commissioned as a second lieutenant in 1985. Langley has served in the Marine Corps for 37 years and saw his promotion as a sign to others that Marine Corps service rewards those who work hard to achieve their goals. General Michael E. Langley, our little known Black History Fact. And see, this is why we need affirmative action, because although this is a great honor, it's 2022 and we're still having first African-American people to do to do things. You are right. <laughs> so this is our third plug of the day, which is always our podcast. And this one is Her Space, uh, which H-E-R stands for Healing, Empowerment and Resilience. Her space. And in a world where Black women are often underrepresented and misunderstood, we need more safe spaces to just be. Every Friday, join Dr. Dominique Bressord, a college professor and a psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker, as they initiate authentic conversation on everything from fibroids to fake friends. If you're a black woman or a woman of color looking for an extra dose of inspiration on the go, pull up a seat and join us on the Cultivating Her Healing, Empowerment, Resilience Space podcast. Episodes are published every Friday on iTunes and most platforms where podcasts are played. Learn more about your favorite host here. So that is... Ooh, I'm sorry. That is her space. Well, all right. All right. And let us move on. Oh, hell no. So this week, <laughs> oh, hell no. We're going to hear from uh, Craig Kelly, who had a rant about June I'm hoping that y'all can hear this. Is another opportunity to get wasted. And that's what people are doing. All right. We drink on the Super Bowl. We drink on Christmas and people are drinking on this Juneteenth. And yeah, all across the country. Pub crawls. Yeah. Juneteenth bar crawl. Let's drink up to honor uh, what happened in Texas all those years ago. You know, again, this country, we have major, major addiction problems all over the place, yet another opportunity to drink or get high? No, because if you put this stuff together, especially in urban areas where the Juneteenth celebrations have been uh, the most intense, you got alcohol plus guns plus time on your hands plus weed plus heat and the overall resentment of the system, what's that going to result in? Any guesses?
So I don't know. Did you hear that? Um, not as well as I would like to, but I okay. did hear. It. <laughs> All right. So it picked up on my mic. Hopefully, basically, what happened? This is a gentleman who is known as a racist or plays a racist on <laughs> radio, and he was going off on Juneteenth like it's just another day to celebrate and drink and the violence then weed. He just brought yeah. in a whole lot of stuff really to stir up this yeah. conversation. That's why we say, oh, hell no, to him because he ain't about sugar. <laughs> and so this is something that we should celebrate. The United States should celebrate. Um and it's a day, I don't know who doesn't mind the day off, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, I think he's confusing this with Cinco de Mayo. Isn't that where they do the pub crawls? And the, yeah, but even, but even, the Hispanic will tell you the Cinco de Mayo is, is racist too, the way they okay. push it out there, because that's all they are doing is celebrating. Um, uh, drinking and we'll we'll get back into a single de Mayo soon but we're going to stay here with Juneteenth Juneteenth is just a celebration of freedom you know and that's what it should be you know recognizing that you know that one state was still in slavery two years later and they got out so again a big oh hell no I think it's um this you know obviously is very ignorant he's very ignorant for saying this However, I think that, you know, it's sad that people with the same sentiment exist today. And I think it's important for us to hear these things so that we are reminded of this every now and then, that this sentiment indeed exists among us. And, and, and we have to remain vigilant and not be lulled into a false sense of comfort. Like we have to stay alert and and remain vigilant. And let us move on. Give it up, give it up, give it up, yo. Give it up, give it up, gotta give it up. Give it up, give it up, give it up, yeah. Give it up, give it up, gotta give it up. So this week, we're going to give it up to Tracy Chapman. Um, this is a while ago, but she had a number one country song. Or has a number one country song uh, yeah. in the nation. And it's a remake of her classic song fast car from 1988 right 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 yeah i graduated from college yeah i remember okay. that was a big record for her so this is yeah that was a huge that. record yes definitely it, it is, crossover and everything and she became the first ever here we go 2023 see what i'm saying first ever black woman to have the only songwriting credit on a number one country hit well i ain't gonna chalk that out to race i'm just gonna chalk that out to culture well i mean <laughs> it's not I'm like saying. we were prohibited from from singing country also charlie pride was a big country star that was black that wrote songs he just didn't get a number one um but then again it's sung in whiteface this is america Right. Race is always a, you know how Evelyn Lozado on the uh, Basketball Wives, Evelyn Lozado said, you are non-MF in factor. Well, race in America is always at MF in factor. 
Okay. <laughs> you can take the non off. It's an MF in factor in America. All right. And on that note, <laughs> ah, here we go. Again, we're going to wrap up today. As always, we start off with our, our plugs. Uh, we had Advil Liquid Gel, Adidas, my Adidas, uh, and then the podcasts were Her Space, H-E-R, that stands for Healing, Empowerment, and Resilience. Our wow for the week. But deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. That's uh Justice Kandaji Brown Jackson, right? Uh, our what's going on was the affirmative action decision, and then we did Clarence Thomas and then Kandaji Brown Jackson's uh, pink. Right. Uh, question of the week What breaks and never falls, and what falls and never breaks? Um, our little known black history fact was Michael Langley. And I all hell no went to Craig Kelly and we gave it up to Tracy Chapman for having a number one country song first person. And as always, thank you everybody for taking time out of your busy schedules to hang out with us. And as always in parting, we wish you love, peace and soul. And so y'all, y'all have a great week and we'll see you soon.